Morning. Morning. How are you today? Everybody enjoying your new seats? <laughs> yeah, well, some of you probably know where I'm going with this because actually just 10 years ago, I think this month, I preached on this same topic. We had the same situation, changing of the guard in terms of the pastors, new one was coming. And so on. Our seating arrangement this morning is an illustration, an illustration of something that I can 100% guarantee will happen when Pastor Dave comes. Things are going to change. (laughs) But first, before I get to that, I just want to affirm you, all of us, for the ways we have adapted over these past several years of change. Oh my goodness, I mean, we lost two pastors, we got a new pastor, we had a pandemic, lots of changes there. Uh, We've had uh, new staff, we have changed our worship times at least a couple of different times that I know of. Lots of changes. The staff had to adjust to a whole new way to do ministry. And, you know, overall, I think we've done well. So give yourselves a hand. Yeah. (laughs) We're okay. But there is more change coming. And uh, my assignment from Pastor Brian uh, was the same as what he gave Jeff last week. Namely, uh, what does the congregation need to hear as they get ready to welcome a new pastor? So here are my thoughts. There's a management book called Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. Yeah. It describes, by way of an allegory, how different people respond to change. It's a story about two mice and two little people who have been happily getting their cheese for some time at Cheese Station C. They're very happy with the way things are going when all of a sudden the cheese disappears. It has moved and they don't know where it's gone. The mice are named Sniff and Scurry. They react quickly to the change. Sniff actually had been sniffing out the fact that the cheese had been getting smaller and smaller, and so he knew change was coming. So when it disappeared, he just took off into the maze to look for new cheese. Scurry was surprised, but still, for him, the answer and the problem were the same. The situation has changed, so I have to change. And off he went into the maze to look for new cheese. The little people, Hem and Haw, however, being much smarter people, took a more sophisticated approach. They yelled. They screamed at the top of their lungs, it's not fair! They took it personally, thinking that the change was directed at them. Uh, They tried to find out who was responsible for this so they would know who to blame. They tried to analyze, why in the world did it change? (laughs) None of this brought back the cheese, however. Nonetheless, they kept returning to the now cheeseless cheese station C. In the meantime, Sniff and Scurry had found new cheese at cheese station N, and they quickly settled into their new situation and began to enjoy the cheese. Back at cheese station C, their fear of the unknown and their frustration at the way it changes kept Hem and Haw immobilized for a long time. Eventually, Haw saw the folly of what he was doing, and he laughed, ha-ha, at himself. He realized his fear, his anger, were keeping him from getting the cheese he loved. He began to imagine. 
being surrounded by great piles of his favorite cheeses. And the thought of that moved him past his fears out into the unknown of the maze to find new cheese. And eventually he did. He stumbled across across Sniff and Scurry there, gorging themselves on new cheese at Cheese Station N. So Haw ran back to tell him. But Hem was completely paralyzed. He was hemmed in by his fears and his anger that someone had moved the cheese. He just couldn't bring himself to change, even though it might have the prospect of finding new cheese. Well, that's the story in brief. Let me quickly analyze the allegory for you. The maze. We might think of the maze as a symbol for faith church as it has grown up over the years. And We've developed certain ways of doing things. Some of those were conscious decisions. Some of those were just the unconscious preferences of the people who happened to be in in leadership at the time. And by the way, if you're somewhat new to Faith Church, uh, it can feel like a maze. We we realize that. So I I would like to uh, direct you to what the sign says is the Connect Center, but it's actually Cheese Station O for Orange, where... (laughs) where you will find someone in an orange shirt who can help you find your way around the maze. Okay? The cheese in this allegory is whatever makes us feel good, what, what makes us feel happy, satisfied, comfortable. It's what meets our felt needs. And the fact is that every one of you has made the decision to attend Faith Church because, hey, you like the cheese you found here. Right? And you probably want things to stay pretty much the way they are. In today's example, part of the cheese is getting to sit in your regular seat. Don't don't worry, these are not your permanent seats. Unless, of course, for us, actually it's not a small donation, it's about $1,000, we get a little brass plaque with your name right right there. Kidding. I didn't say that. The movie, can you edit this? (laughs) The moving of the cheese represents change. Change we didn't ask for, and especially the kind of change that we don't like because it causes us to lose some of what we found so satisfying and fulfilling. It's not the way we like it anymore. Well, the underlying assumption of this story is that that kind of change just happens. It just does. There's no way to stop it. It usually doesn't help to try to analyze why it happened or who's responsible for it. It never helps to get angry or take it personally. We can only respond to it. And the point of the story is that how we respond to change makes all the difference in the world. Okay, so how are we going to respond? Things are going to change here when Pastor Dave comes. We don't know what. How are we going to respond? Well, the four characters in this story each represent a different way to respond to change. Generally speaking, we fall into one of these four patterns. Sniff. Sniff is the person who sniffs out change early on. He sees it coming more than ready for it when it happens. These people actually thrive on change. These are the early adopters of the world. You know, whatever's new, they love it. So is that you? Do you you love to sniff out changes and eagerly embrace it? How many of you would see yourselves as a sniff? Hmm. Oh, there's one, two, three. Okay, that four. Okay, uh, there were zero in the first, oh, five. Way to go, guys. There were there were zero in the first service. It's five five to zero. Okay, uh, scurry. Scurry doesn't see it coming, but scurries into action the moment something changes. This person doesn't waste time analyzing things, trying to figure out. They just adapt to whatever the new situation is. 
So, you know, if your response to change is, oh, something has changed, what do I need to do to change to get back to that feeling of, I like it here? If that's you, you're a scurry. How many, how many see you? Oh, good, lots of scurries. All right. Uh, the little people, on the other hand, they, they insist on analyzing things, and that's usually not helpful. Haw is initially afraid. He learns to laugh at himself when he realizes that his fears and his frustrations and anger preventing him from getting the cheese. Haw has to see the positive benefits first you know, before he'll think it's a good idea. But then when he realizes that changing himself will lead to something better, then he's willing to do it. Anybody here see yourself as a haw? Okay, good. And then there's Hem. Hem just denies and resists change altogether because he's afraid it's going to lead to something much worse. He's hemmed in by his fears. He never does change. Now, I, I will not ask for a show of hands, but if, if, if you are sitting in your regular seat this morning, you might be a hem. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, I can pretty much guarantee that very few of us will immediately like everything that changes here with Pastor Dave. Our core values will not change. We know that. But how those values are expressed will change and need to change. Dave is smart enough not to change a lot of things at first, but he's also wise enough to know that some things have to change. Look, if we're going to be relevant to our community if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission and the Great Commandments, things are going to have to change. Yeah? As comfortable as we may be with the way things are now, we are not yet the church Christ is wanting us to be. We are not even the church that we've described in our mission and values statement. We said when we made it, this is aspirational. Part of it's true of us and part of it is not yet. So we have to change to get to the not yet part. Yeah? You've no doubt heard of the seven last words of, Christ, of the church. There are two versions. We've never done it that way before, so we're not going to start now. And the other version is, we've always done it this way before, so we're not going to change. <laughs> Those are called the seven last words of the church because if we keep saying them, the church will die. It will. It will. So the question I'm asking you to seriously consider is, how are you going to respond to the changes that are ahead? Will you be a sniff? A scurry? A haw? Don't be a ham. <laughs> because the cheese is going to move. A second thing I want to say is that we all need to focus on Christ and not on Pastor Dave. Uh, this was the theme of Pastor Brian's message a couple of weeks ago when he kept talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> um, and Jeff referred to this last week as well. Our hope for the future of the church is not in Dave. It's in Christ, the chief shepherd of the sheep, not his under-shepherd, Dave Hoffelmeyer. Dave would not want us to be looking to him to save us, rescue us, make us great, or whatever. That's not a responsibility God has given him, and we should not put it on him either. Now, some years ago, I heard a, a, a counselor. Oh, that was Dave. <laughs> oh, hi, Dave. <laughs> some, some years ago, I heard a counselor talk about the distinction between being responsible to 
and responsible for. And this is an important distinction for ourselves to keep in mind, and it's important as we think about how we relate to our new pastor. Dave is responsible to do the things he can do. And those are things that are spelled out in his position description. He is not responsible for the results of what he does. He's not responsible for the outcomes because he has no control over that, right? So we plant, we water, God gives the growth. The pastor can't make the church grow. The pastor can't attract young families. The pastor can't save anybody. Only God can do those things. So while Dave is our lead pastor, we need to look to Christ to lead us through him. Another reason why it's important for us to focus on Christ and not the pastor is because of a couple of dangers that I sense we might face. Uh, one danger is that we'll think, hey, now we're okay. I mean, this is great. We, we're, everything is good. We, we weathered the storm. Uh, we have a, a, a great new pastor coming. We have great staff. We have several hundred people still in our church. We've managed to get through mostly COVID. We hope it's behind us. Uh, there's a great buzz of enthusiasm, excitement, and hope in the church. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be great. I personally do think great things are ahead for us, but it's not because of us. The scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We should not forget, brothers and sisters, the sins of our hearts that led to such hurt and division in our church not so long ago. We should not forget that our hearts are still deceitful and desperately sick. And every one of our motives is tainted with a measure of self in them. Pastor Brian led us in a powerful 40 days of drawing near to God in a posture of repentance. And that's the posture we need to maintain. We need to go forward on our knees, asking God to search our hearts, convict us of our sin, purify us from unrighteousness. You maybe have heard the quip that the church is the only army that goes forward on its knees. That's, that's right. That's how we're going to do it. Look to Christ in repentance and keep short accounts with him. The other possible danger I sense is that some of us may have trouble trusting a pastor if we've been hurt or betrayed by a pastor in the past. It would greatly limit Dave's effectiveness here if we approach him with an attitude of suspicion or doubts about his trustworthiness. Now, I realize if you've been hurt by a pastor in the past, it may be very hard for you to do this, but I'm going to ask you, make the conscious choice to trust our new pastor, to give him the benefit of the doubt, to expect the best of him. And if he does something or says something that causes you to question his trustworthiness, Go to him immediately. Do not talk to someone else about it. Go to, don't say, well, I need you to check me and see if I'm there. No, no. You just go to Dave. I know he will want you to do that. Am I right, Dave? Yeah. That's right. So a couple of dangers just to be aware of. We need to keep our focus on Christ, not on his under-shepherd. A third thing, come to church to hear from God, not Dave Hoffelmeyer. 
If we're listening with the attitude of a critic, examining every little thing he says for theological soundness, or did he say it the right way, or whatever, you won't hear from God that day. You'll go away empty and, and complaining. But if we come listening for the voice of God, asking him what he wants to say to us through that message, then I can pretty much guarantee you'll go away blessed, encouraged, built up, maybe convicted, but something good will happen between you and God if you're listening for what God has to say to you. And here's why I believe that. Uh, Years ago, pretty many years ago now, when I came to First Presbyterian Church uh, in Loveland, they had a prayer meeting uh, on Wednesday nights, which I began to attend. And uh, one week, not too many weeks after I had arrived at the church, uh, in prayer, one of the gentlemen uh, prayed, thanking God for something I had said in the sermon the Sunday before. Now, when he said that, my ears perked up because I didn't remember saying that. In fact, I, 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 I suddenly tuned out of the prayer meeting and I started replaying the sermon in my mind. I couldn't think of anything I said that was even close to what this man said he had heard. And my initial reaction was, I got a little offended because I figured he was not listening to me. (laughs) But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, praise God, the Holy Spirit took whatever it was I said that he didn't need to hear and directed his thoughts, stream of consciousness, to what he did need to hear, and he still remembered it on Wednesday. Glory, hallelujah. (laughs) I came to depend on this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because only he knows what each person needs to hear. A pastor can't address every need in the, in the sanctuary in one sermon. It's not possible. So I'm counting on that. So folks, listen. Listen to what God has to say. If we're listening to the Spirit rather than critiquing the sermon, then we will hear from him whatever it is he needs, us, needs to say to us. Another very practical way we can depend on Christ is to pray for the pastor. Because when we pray, we remind ourselves that he can't do the job apart from God. We shift the burden of most of the responsibility for this from his shoulders to God's shoulders, where where it belongs. Brenda Kozeski recently sent me an article uh, by a pastor named Dan Ryland, uh, which talks about this, and I've adapted it to fit our situation, but, but here's some of what Ryland says about praying for the pastor. He says, nothing shapes the outcome of your church more than prayer. The longer I lead, the more I appreciate the value of intercessors. Your pastors, and I will add your elders and your church staff, are prime targets for spiritual attack. The enemy uses a lot of different schemes to attack them, everything from temptation to discouragement to division. And if he can get to our leaders, then he can affect the whole church, as we know. But your prayers can and will make a difference. So here are five specific things that Ryland says to pray for our leaders. Pray for God's favor. God has given Pastor Dave wonderful gifts for ministry. He is equipped for ministry. But without God's power, there will be no eternal results. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nada, nothing. That's right. Ministry is an active partnership. We do our part, what we're responsible to do. God does his part, what we're not responsible for. So pray for that partnership. Ask God for an anointing on him. Pray for God's favor, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for his spiritual life. I know from personal experience that there are two things it's very, very hard to find time for. And one is your own spiritual nurture. 
Pray that God will help him do that, to help him guard that time with his life. Pray that his love for God, his relationship with Jesus, would just be fresh, real, close, growing. Ask God to give him timely biblical insights for us, this congregation, at this point in history. Pray that the Holy Spirit will stir within him a passion for prayer, and when he prays that he'll hear God speak. Pray for his leadership. Ryland says, and I agree, that apart from the favor of God, the thing that makes, makes the most difference is leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So pray that Dave will be committed to growing as a, as a leader. This is a much bigger church than he has led in the past. He's going to need to grow into these shoes. Ask God to give him strength of character to make hard decisions, wisdom in those decisions, passion in his preaching, a, vi- a vision and, and the ability to direct the staff and the church towards accomplishing that vision within the scope of our mission and values. All pastors make mistakes. I certainly did. And we need to love him through those mistakes and pray that he'll learn from them. Fourth, pray for his family. For Christina, Amelia, Isaac, and Eden. And ask God to just bless their family with great love for each other, for peace, protection from spiritual attack, the fruit of the Spirit within their relationships. Pray especially for Amelia and Isaac as they start school at a new public school this year for the first time, new friends to make. Uh, Eden is starting preschool for the first time. Big changes in their family. And by the way, we need to let Christina be his wife and not think of her as a free staff member. She has a great heart for ministry. But we need to, let, let, need to let her find her niche here at the right time and not impose our expectations on her for what she ought to be doing and when she ought to be doing it. And then finally, pray for his physical health. This is the other thing that it's hard to carve out time for, to tend to your, your body. Ask the Spirit to speak to him about taking care of himself. Ask God to give him stamina, energy, clear thinking, strength, just physical protection over his family. Now, these went by pretty quickly, but all these bullets are in this handout that's available at the Connect Center. That's Cheese Station O. Stop by and get one of these. And on the, that, this is what I just said to you. And on the back are specific prayer requests from Pastor Dave for this point in time. Okay, so stop by, get one of those. The elders have committed to praying for him weekly, and they are inviting you, us, to to pray as well. So just want to encourage us to do that. When our search committee began their work last fall, I began to pray an adaptation of Psalm 7870. The actual verses are on the screen, but here's how I was praying. Lord, please choose a man, we want your choice, who is completely your servant. Take him, from tending your sheep someplace else and bring him to tend your sheep here at Faith Church. May he shepherd us with integrity of heart and lead us with skillful hands. And that verse continues to be my prayer for Pastor Dave. A church gets the pastor they pray for. Many of you diligently prayed for me, and I became a better pastor at the end than I was at the beginning. So as I said, the elders have committed to pray for him weekly. I'm encouraging you as well. Do that weekly. We're not going to organize it, at least not now, but 
let's mobilize great prayer for this man and his family as they begin what we trust will be a long and fruitful tenure here. Well, God showed Ezekiel a vision of a whole valley of dry bones. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? <laughs> I've asked God that same question over the past two and a half years. I've wondered if this church could survive. As I looked out at our congregation, I, the question became, can these old, tired bones live? Yeah. Can these old folks like me be so filled with your spirit that we're willing to get out of our comfort zones, to actually change as things change, to serve, to give, to pray as never before? Lord, can this church be filled with vibrant spiritual life and new believers again? Well, I've asked that question, and I've answered it the same way Ezekiel answered God. Lord, you know. <laughs> I sure don't. Only God knows. But I'm encouraged that in that situation, God did raise up the dry bones of Israel to form a great army. And I'm also encouraged as I look out at you today, and I think about what, what God is already doing here. This, I, I sense great optimism, excitement, hope. We're on the cusp of something really good. At our staff meeting this week, I was thrilled at all the new ministry initiatives popping up all around the church. Uh, recent high school graduates wanting to stay in ministry, deciding to stay on board and, and help run the, the middle school group. Uh, people, people coming to our church, new visitors coming to our church, wanting to get involved in small groups or serving in some way. It, it felt to me like springtime. I mean, we've been through a long, hard winter, and, and new shoots are popping up everywhere. It's green. It's glorious. So yes, I really do believe these dry bones can live again. Some of you know the story about an elderly lady who asked to speak with a pastor about how she wanted her funeral service to go. They went over some details, and then she said, and, and Pastor, I want to make sure you include a fork. Put a fork in the casket with me. <laughs> he said, well, Agatha, I mean, we can do that, of course, but it's a very odd request. Do you mind if I ask why you want a fork in your casket? Well, no, I don't mind, she said. It's when I was little, when they were clearing the table after a meal, if they said, keep your fork, it meant the best is yet to come. Now, I know I told this story once before when we had a new pastor coming, and I hesitated to tell it again because that didn't work out so well. But the truth is, God did some wonderful things in our church through Pastor Rob, and it wasn't God's fault that it didn't work out. God is faithful. And I think that at every new juncture in life for individuals and for churches, God wants to do new good things for his children. As he says in Isaiah 43, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Jeff quoted this passage last week, and I thought, yeah, that's right. I'm going to say it again this week because we, we need to hear this, and we need to do what it says. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. In the context of this passage, God is telling us not to dwell on our past troubles, not to dwell on our past sins and mistakes, not to dwell on the people who've left us, but to look forward with great anticipation to what God is about to do. Indeed, is already doing. Now it springs up. Do you not see it? So on the way out this morning, you'll be handed a fork. Some of you still have your fork from the last time. I know you've told me that. Well, put this one next to it. 
<laughs> I don't know, you have a little cup with pens and pencils in it or something. You could scotch tape it to your computer monitor. I don't care where you put it. Put it someplace where you'll see it often and remind yourself to pray. To pray in faith, in confidence that God is, in fact, already doing a new thing here and you can't wait to be a part of it. Which, by the way, means, Lord, what's my part? How do I need to change? Yeah. Because the cheese is going to move, folks. It's going to be even better. I'll see you at Cheese Station N. Let's pray. So, Lord, we do thank you for yourself. So grateful for your faithfulness to us as a congregation, to us as individuals. Uh, You are a living hope (laughs) for this life and eternity. And we love you for that. Praise you. God, we thank you so much for Dave and Christina and their family. So grateful that you brought them here. And we pray for them, Lord. We pray for him especially, that you will bless them, anoint them, use them, fill them to serve your purposes in this place. We want what I know he wants, that you would be glorified here, that the focus wouldn't be on him, It would be on you. So, Lord, help us keep our eyes on you and help each of us to be willing to change when the situation changes. May we not hem around. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.